Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Scientists at Sea, brought to you by Examarine. This week we've got an interview that Katie did with Professor Laura Fleming back in February. So based at our Truro campus in Cornwall, Laura is the Director of the European Centre for Environment and Human Health, and is the Chair of Oceans, Epidemiology and Human Health at the University of Exeter Medical School. As you might expect from the name, the centre focuses on conducting research into the complex connections between the environment and our health, and we'll be touching on um, some aspects of this in later episodes. But for now, sit back and enjoy the chat as Laura tells us about her own journey and gives us an introduction to the European Centre for Environment and Human Health. Hi there, Laura. So thank you so much for joining us here on our podcast today. Really, it would be a great start for us if you could just talk a little bit about your background, how you've ended up here at the centre doing what you're doing. Uh, thank you to you, Katie and Ben, for this uh, opportunity. So um, I was born in the United States, obviously, by based on my uh, accent. I grew up in New England, but I also was lucky enough to go and travel. So I spent a year in Spain when I was 15 during the time of Franco, which I would describe as life-changing. And I also spent a year um, in the late 70s at Imperial um, getting a master's. So um, I came from a family that was heavily doctors, and I was the oldest child, so I was designated to be the doctor, <laughs> and I tried not to be a doctor for a long time. I did things in Spanish and archaeology, but ended up in medical school eventually and also public health school. And at, um, I ended up moving to Miami, and I spent about 20-plus years there. And there I was in a a department of um, public health and also eventually uh, as a physician and epidemiologist, I should say that, um, I got very interested in, in the interactions between humans and the marine environment. And of course, Miami was a great place to do that and they had a really good uh, marine school. So I eventually ended up with a joint appointment as a professor in both the marine school and the medical school, which was sort of a shock to both sides of, that, of those campuses. And I also ended up, um, because of work that I was doing, um, running a center for oceans and human health that was funded by the National Science Foundation and the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. And it was great because I co-directed it with a, a very a wonderful oceanographer named um, Sharon Professor Sharon Smith. And she was uh, an expert in, um, uh, in copepods. And I... This is a short anecdote, which I'm sure you can take out. At one point, I kept saying they were cephalopods. <laughs> and her face would sort of scrunch up. And finally, she said, they're not cephalopods. Anyway, so I um, ran this center with her for about almost 10 years. Wow. And um, and then a colleague of mine here, Professor Mike DePlege, and colleagues here at the medical school in Exeter had gotten amazing European funding to start a center of environment and human health in a medical school, and I hadn't heard of that anywhere. And I was doing a lot of work around harmful algal blooms and poop in the water, microbial pollution, antimicrobial resistance, et cetera. And I was really interested in the whole interface between our health and the health of the environment. And so that's what we did. We started from scratch this center. That's such an amazing journey. Um, I was really curious to hear about how you'd sort of transitioned into the world of oceans um, from your background. <laughs> so it's really interesting. Um, so I think that leads us on nicely to maybe giving us a little bit of uh, insight into what the European Centre does overall here. So it's, um, it's a small centre relatively, although we now have almost 100 people in it. What we wanted to do when we started was to work literally as truly interdisciplinarily as we could. 
And we've been really lucky, not only because of the European funding, but because of a lot of support from the medical school and the water university. So we actually have a group that's on the Penryn campus, and they work with other microbiologists in a microbiology lab. But then we have here on the Toro campus, which is, shares the space with the Royal Cornwall Hospital Trust and other parts of the medical school, we have a lot of social scientists. And so we've literally had people who range from evolutionary microbiologists. We've had graphic artists who have PhDs working with us. So it's very, very interdisciplinary. And that was sort of the first principle that we came up with, that the, that the whole interface between human and environmental health or health of the environment is so complex that you can't, a single discipline or even within the STEM sciences, you can't even get close to addressing it. And so we also felt that part of it was the approach, but also part of it was learning to actually do that in practice and also training people um, to do that. And the other piece we were very interested in was interacting with communities. And that ranged from businesses, in part because of our funding, but eventually mm -hmm. it sort of became part of an ethic for us, but also all the diverse communities that are involved both in Cornwall and now internationally. So one of the things we've tried to do in the training, for example, PhDs, we have a master's in environment and health, is to make it so that um, our students and our early career researchers and all of us try to interact with communities throughout our research. So it's relevant to them, at least in part, and um, that they're invested in it and that we also learn a lot more about what's going to work and what isn't. Okay, That's pretty fascinating. I think this idea of interdisciplinary science is really where the sort of oceans and human health stuff needs to head. It's really interesting. And actually the biggest challenge for me in oceans and human health is that I'm usually the only physician in the room. Okay. I think the marine and environmental science community has really grasped that that's huge because, you know, the ecosystems are being so damaged by human activities. I think what we need I desperately is to get public health and medical and other healthcare people involved in this area. And do you, uh, maybe on the spot question, do you have a, a remit for tackling that, getting those people properly involved and linked together? <laughs> it's funny you should ask. No, <laughs> um, we have, well, we've been doing a bunch of projects that are very relevant in that area. And one of them is called Blue Health. Yeah. And it's funded by Horizon 2020 Europe. And that was trying to look at blue infrastructure. So not just marine, but also any kind of blue. It could be a fountain, a canal, a lake, whatever. And um, it was trying to look at the sort of intersection of how do we get people involved in climate change, environment, and health together to, to look at how blue environments can actually help people's health and at the same time do that sustainably. So, uh, for example, if you're going to build some sort of flood retention wall, can that also be, which protects people against climate change or whatever um, effects, could you also use that as a place where people can go and exercise and interact together and help their mental health and well-being? And also, what's the evidence that that actually does help them? And another big area that I'm really interested in, we do a lot, I think is another sort of theme for the center, is the idea that everything we do in the environment presents risks and benefits. And the question is, um, first, do we recognize the benefits? Often we tend to focus on the risks, you know, you know, it's all going to kill us. So what are the benefits? And then how do you navigate that? How do you as a person, a community, globally, how do we navigate the fact that anything we do both can cause risks and benefits for something else? Um, and how do we understand that? So that's another piece that we're trying to look at. 
Anyway, so we also have another project called Sophie Seas, Oceans, and Public Health in Europe, also funded by Horizon 2020 from Europe. Um, involves partners all over Europe, as these large projects do, a wonderful group of people. And what we're trying to do there, actually what we were literally tasked to do, was to create a community around oceans and human health and to write a so-called strategic research agenda. <laughs> and that is supposed to be, in essence, that we're hopefully going to hand this to a bunch of funders and say, we've got experts, we've consulted the communities, we've talked to stakeholders and businesses and funders and policymakers, and here are some areas that we think some real research could be done that would bring together health and environment communities and could make a real difference. And where there's um, not only the ability to make a difference, but also that there's some burning questions that we don't know the answer to. Okay, that's all such an interesting area, really important stuff. And I guess, so just from a personal curiosity point of view, yeah. um, is there any um, particular project, little bit of research that's going on at the moment at the centre that you're most excited about? That's just sort of oh. something of personal? We work with a, a, a group that's called HEPI, Health and Environment Public Engagement Group. It was set up by Ruth Garside and now is run with Ka by Kath McGuire. And um, they challenged us in the Blue Health Project by saying, you really haven't interacted much with communities when you set this up. Um, when I was trying to put it together with my colleagues, it was enough that I was dealing with nine different countries. <laughs> anyway, but totally on board. We didn't involve communities the way we say we do. And also we had a real lack actually of social science as well. And one of the things they said to us was, um, well, what is Blue Health to not just you, Laura, or other researchers, what does Blue Health mean to ordinary people? So they've actually created their own project called My Blue Health. And the example that I love the best is that um, uh, they, they each came in apparently with pictures. And one person brought in this picture, and it's taken from the front seat of their car. And it shows the dashboard, and there's um, uh, fish and chips open, <laughs> and there's a view of the ocean in the distance, and that's their blue health. It's not my blue health, but it's their blue health. And I think that project for me, because you know I have a quantitative background, I'm a physician, I used to do big data stuff. One of the journeys for me, being part of these projects and part of the center, is realizing that there's just a whole other way to do science and that social sciences can be incredibly enriching and that we, um, we ignored it our peril as quantitative people. So one aspect that I did want to raise, and, and I think it's something that's, again, been sort of a personal journey, but I think is happening more and more with my colleagues, is the issue that, for example, we've done a lot of research showing in the UK and in America and Canada and Hong Kong and Australia and in Europe that interacting with blue environments could be really good for your health. And it actually our data shows that it, it can be particularly good, for example, for poorer communities, which to me as a public health person is wonderful, you know, that if I can somehow change access, that um, I can make uh, opportunities for people to have better health and well-being. But I one time gave a talk at UNESCO. Um, I got an award, and I was giving a talk on oceans and human health, and there was literally delegates from all over the world there. And one of the delegates from Africa raised his hand and said, well, that's very nice for you in the developed world, but in my country, the poorest people live on the coasts, and their circumstances are appalling. 
you know, there's huge amounts of pollution, not just plastic, but all types of pollution. It's where all the runoff goes. Um, you know, they have to survive on what is the local food available through the marine environment, coastal environment there. And also they have very little backup or anything like that. And to me, that was a real challenge. And one of the things I've really enjoyed is there's a, um, a new funding in the UK called Global Challenge Research Fund, or GCRF. And one of my colleagues at Plymouth Marine Lab, Mel Austin, has actually led us in uh, to be involved in one called uh, GCRF-funded project called Blue Communities. Mm -hmm. And it's really inspirational and very eye-opening. Um, it's with four Southeast Asian countries. It works um, to use marine spatial planning to see if good marine spatial planning with local communities and other stakeholders with, will improve the health, well-being, and food security of those local populations. And these are people living in and around UNESCO biospheres or marine protected areas. So it's been eye-opening on all sorts of levels. And the other part I really enjoy about that kind of funding is it's also about capacity building. It's not just the research. It's not about publishing the perfect paper necessarily. It's about working with colleagues to train each other on how to work together better to serve these communities. So I would say I'm, I'm very proud of that project and it is ongoing and it's constantly challenging and how we do that kind of work going forward with things like um, uh, a climate change emergency and our carbon footprint, et cetera, is gonna be very challenging. But I also think we in the UK and other developed countries has, have as much to gain from those interactions as the people who live there and work there. That's so fascinating. I think that really highlights how scientific research that we can do can be so real life and actually make a, a difference on the ground rather than feeling like research in a lab. It's exactly. really interesting. So I was just wanting to link back to one of the points you mentioned earlier on us realising how much our health depends on the health of the environment. Um, so I didn't know if you were up for going into a little bit more detail on, on how we tackle that challenge, really. Um, okay, for me, again, it started where I was looking at a lot of risks. So originally I studied the effects of things like pesticides and heavy metals and then harmful algal blooms and poop in the water and AMR, all of those effects on us. And those are things, exposures that we get in the environment. I think the other piece of that connection is that we usually are the ones that put those things in the environment <laughs> or release them so that they do harm our health. What was new for me coming to this center is the whole idea that um, interacting with natural environments could be very beneficial. And in particular, what we've spent a lot of the last 10 years doing, uh, led by people like Mike DePlege and Matt White and Sabina Paul and Ben Wheeler and Be Becca Lovell, a lot of people, is trying to look at what are the opportunities and what is the evidence for the fact that we think that interacting with um, particularly blue but natural environments are good for you. And how you measure that is really hard, it turns out to be. Like, how do you define an exposure to the environment? How do you define someone's feeling well-being? Or how do you look at health, which is actually a, tends to be really disease, so you're really trying to look at the prevention of disease. So we've tried to use lots of different types of studies. Um, we've used things like literature reviews or evidence synthesis. We've used very tiny laboratory studies. We've used um, qualitative studies with families on beaches. And we've used big data. Somebody collects a huge amount of data 
about something else and we find variables that allow us to look at things like their interactions with natural environments. And you can look at things like when people move away from a coastal environment, does their health get better or worse? And it turns out it gets worse for most people, except for adolescents who love going to the city. Most people, when they move to uh, coastal areas, their health they report their health is better. So it's trying to do all those things. And I, my personal feeling is, um, and also my anxiety is, I think we are sh producing the evidence that interacting with blue and green environments are good for your health and well-being, physical, mental, et cetera. The problem I have is the more we do that, the more we are basically encouraging people to interact with natural environments that are increasingly at risk. And so for me, the tension there is how do we do that using kind of global term of sustainably. And I, I think there's a whole piece of research that is both ongoing, for example, in marine protected areas, where they'll set aside some places as just complete no-goes and other places that they know are going to get destroyed by us, but will help us create those connections and help us to get those health and well-being benefits. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky balance to be found then. <laughs> I feel like we could keep talking about this for a long time. But So thank you very much for joining us on this episode today. It's been fascinating. And thank you for interviewing me and also for taking our course. <laughs> So thank you very much to Laura for coming on. I feel that discussion could have gone on for hours, but alas, we only had so much time. As I'm sure you can imagine, Laura has had quite the career, so um, we couldn't possibly cover all of it in the episode, but I'd highly recommend going and checking out the show notes on the Extramarine blog where you can find out a lot more. And if you'd like to find out more about Blue Health, the SOFI project, or any of the other initiatives going on at the European Centre for Environment and Human Health, you can check out the website. We'll put that in the show notes. And you can also check back for some upcoming episodes where we'll be delving into these topics in a little more detail with some of the other researchers based at the centre. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.